going to read the story of Pentecost tonight in Acts 2, the first 21 verses, and then we'll go to Numbers 11 to read our text in its context. So first, Acts 2, the first 21 verses. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we go to Numbers 11. The text is made up of verses 24 through 30, which I won't read a second time, but we're going to read verses 10 through 30. In the nine verses of Numbers 11 that precede where we begin reading, uh, the Spirit tells us that the Israelites again complain, and the Lord is angry with them, and they are judged, and then they complain a second time because they don't have the fish and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic of Egypt, and they don't like the manna. Verse 10. 
Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child, unto a land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. They shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And now our text. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. The Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And a spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. 
read the word of God this far. Having performed that great work for which Jesus came into the flesh, and laying down his life on the tree of the cross to atone for our sins, Jesus Christ rose the third day. The resurrection was the beginning of his exaltation. He rose the third day. He appeared for 40 days after his resurrection that it might be known he was alive. He then ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. From which place, ten days after his ascension, to show that he was the Messiah, the mediator who continues to work salvation in his church, he poured out his Holy Spirit on us. Acts 2 recorded that event. There were three signs of the outpouring of the Spirit that Acts 2, the first four verses noted. In the first place, we were taught by the first sign that the Spirit is not someone you see. He's invisible. For that first sign was the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. But just as you do not see the wind, but the wind has power, and you see the effects of the wind, so you do not see the Spirit, but the Spirit has power, and you see the effects of the Spirit in your life, and in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ in holiness and in confession of truth. In the second place, there was a sign of the cloven tongues as a fire that sat on each of them. Fire, a picture of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So that we are reminded in that sign of the work the Holy Spirit does, not all of his work, But one aspect of his work, sanctifying God's people. I pointed out as we sang the different numbers, the Holy Spirit has different works. He he does not only regenerate and implant faith and sanctify and justify and preserve. He does that. He does more. By the Spirit, crops grow. The Spirit is the agent of the risen Lord of all creation and history to cause all things to come to pass. That's the work of the Spirit, not so much in grace, but in power. And then secondly, the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. That was the second sign of the Spirit's outpouring. The third sign of the Spirit's outpouring That people spoke in different languages, the wonderful works of God, brings us more to the point of our text this evening. That the Holy Spirit equips and qualifies men and women to serve God in his covenant, not now in the special offices, the Spirit comes on men to do that too, but in the office of all believer. For you and I are made prophets, priests, and kings to God. What in the Old Testament not every Israelite was, you and I all are. 
That brings us to the picture of Pentecost as we have it in our text. 1,500 years or so before the Spirit was poured out, the servant Moses, himself a prophet, said, Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. That prayer of Moses, that wish, was answered on the day of Pentecost. But also the pouring out of Moses' spirit on the 70 men who would bear the burden of Israel with Moses was a prefigurated, an Old Testament type of Pentecost. To use the word type isn't new to you, but let me remind you of what a type is. A type is an Old Testament person or place or, in this case, event which in itself was a striking event. It it had significance for the people of God in its day, but it also pointed ahead to a greater day. And so that Moses' spirit would come on 70 other men and they would bear the burden of Israel with him was a prefiguring of Pentecost. Only a type, the great day of Pentecost must yet come, For Christ himself had not yet come. He's represented only by his type, Moses. And only a type, inasmuch as the Spirit comes on the 70 in Jehovah's answer to Moses' sinful complaint. Why, Jehovah, have you done this to me? Why have you made me lead this complaining people? Notice how the complaints of the people lead to the complaining of their leader. That happens in our lives too. We hear the complaints of others, and that leads us to complain. It ought not. Hearing the complaints of others ought lead us to remind those others that as children of God, we need not complain. We have trials. We have burdens. We can bring them to the Lord. He'll hear, but his grace is sufficient for us. And when leaders in the church complain because the people are complainers, then we're doing exactly what Moses did. The wrong thing, and Moses rather should have come to the Lord and interceded, besought the Lord's mercy on behalf of the people in their needs. But he complains. And the Lord is a tender Lord, as he always is. He bears patiently with our weaknesses. And though he rebukes Moses, especially for his unbelief, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Yet he doesn't in so many words rebuke Moses for his complaining, but says, you've pointed out a need. You cannot bear this people alone. I will give 70 men to bear the burdens with you. Now that's the occasion. Moses is an imperfect picture of Christ. By contrast, showing that this is only a type of Pentecost, When Jesus Christ pours out his spirit, it's not so that we can help him 
bear the burden of the church. It is because he bears the burden of the church alone. Let's see those points more clearly this evening. I call your attention to the text under the theme, the divine anointing of the 70 elders. First of all, note that they were anointed with Moses' spirit. Secondly, that this anointing caused them to prophesy. And thirdly, that the Lord in so doing magnified the spirit's work. Jehovah says that he will take of Moses' spirit and put it on 70 more men. Let's begin then by explaining very clearly that that spirit that Moses had was the spirit of Jehovah, which means that it was the Holy Spirit, which means that it would be the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, that would be poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. That's clear from verse 29. Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses understands this spirit is not just some power. It's not just something that gives Moses some charisma to lead. It is the Holy Spirit that God gave Moses to equip Moses to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And apart from it, not only could Moses not have led the people through the wilderness, But he could not have received the law of God. He could not have written the first five books of the Bible. He could not have functioned as the prophet of Jehovah to the Israelites. And secondly, when Jehovah says that Holy Spirit that's on Moses, I'm going to put on 70 more, Jehovah is not saying, I'm going to take it off Moses and put it on 70 instead, but rather that the anointing that comes on Moses will be shed abroad on 70 more men. Just like when Jesus Christ poured out his spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost, was it saying to his church, here you might as well have the spirit. I don't need it anymore. I'm at God's right hand. But he was saying to his church, I possess the Spirit in all His fullness. It's mine so that through the Spirit I can do the work of the mediator of the covenant. And now I give it to you so that you're brought into fellowship with me and into the same body with me and share my anointing and can be prophets and priests and kings. That Spirit being poured out on these 70 means that these 70 men are called to an office in Israel. They already held an office. They already held the office of elder. And not elder the way the elders of the New Testament church are the New Testament fulfillment. Not a king. But as soon as Israel had left Egypt, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said, to Moses, you're going to need help. You're going to need men to assist you, and you'd better appoint men over tens and over fifties and over hundreds so that they can hear the cases of the people and they can judge in those cases. There already is a official group of men in the church that is in Israel, and out of that group, Moses is to take 
70 and make them his special assistants. And that would be their office. I call it an office, not that it was a permanent office, not that somewhere there's a New Testament office that's the equivalent of it, but very simply because they had an official work to do and to carry out that official work, they must have the spirit to equip and qualify them. How they're called, we're not told, but what we are told is that their names were written. Eldad and Medad, though they didn't go to the tabernacle, were of those that were written. In other words, it was made very clear to Israel who these 70 were. It was made very clear to Moses who they were. And should a 71st man come along and say, I too have the spirit of Moses, and I too am one to whom you must listen and give heed as I take the word of God and open it up to you and use it to judge your cases, then an Israelite may say to that 71st man, show me where your name is on the list. Not just anyone takes the spirit of God to himself. And not just anyone may claim to have that spirit and suppose that because a man claims it, Jehovah will honor the man's claim. Has Jehovah called you and has Jehovah appointed you to office? That's the question. If and when he has, he has given you the spirit for the work to which you are called. And that's the main point of anointing or of the spirit coming on one in the Old Testament as it came on prophets, on priests, and of kings. Jehovah was saying to such a one, you're just a man. And you have to go do a work now that not all will appreciate. You have to be a king or a prophet or a priest. And there will be times when the people of Israel don't appreciate the work you're doing, the word you're speaking. But don't you forget, I sent you. And therefore, don't you forget, I've equipped you. And you may never do what Moses did and say, Lord, kill me, please. I don't want this anymore. But you and I must always say, and the 70 then must say, I'm called. I must. I will so serve. In this way, then, the event recorded in our text is a prefiguring of Pentecost. Jesus Christ came into the world to do a great work on behalf of God in his covenant, the work of forming and laying the basis for that covenant, of redeeming sinners from the guilt of sin and from the bondage of sin. And to do that work, Jesus Christ needed the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon him on, at the moment of his baptism. So that he knew as he went about the earthly part of his labors that he was equipped to do the work of the mediator of the covenant. Then when he was exalted to the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit was given him an even greater measure. Now he must pour out all the blessings of salvation on the church of Jesus Christ. Now he must form each and every member 
uh, whom, for whom he's died into the body of Christ and give each a gift with which to serve in the body he needs the spirit to do that and on Pentecost he pours that spirit out on you and on me of course we weren't alive then on the church on the 120 believers but when you and I are regenerated not only does this Holy Spirit unite us to Christ and to give us all the saving blessings of Christ, but at that moment also the Holy Spirit anoints us, in the words of Lord's Day 12 of the Catechism, to be prophets, priests, and kings, to share in the anointing of Jesus Christ himself. That's an office you and I have. As those redeemed by the blood of Christ, we may just say, I will go aimlessly through life. I will try to draw no great attention to myself, especially to my faith. I will not really have much concern for others in the church of Jesus Christ or for the salvation of others around me, neighbors and co-workers. I will not engage in the spiritual battles which I'm called to fight. I'll let others do that. We may not say that as redeemed members of the body of Christ Jehovah says to us I formed you for my praise and that means in part that you will open your mouths and you will speak my word it means in part that you will have a care for the other members of the church you will pray for them you will seek to bless and bear them up in their needs as priests. It means, in part, that you will understand that your body, your soul, and the place in which you live, your sphere of life, is that part of God's kingdom in which you are king, and you will hate sin, and you will fight sin. You do not, I do not, have the option. It is part of what it is to be a Christian. And no person here, young or old, may say, I don't want to. But everyone here, young and old, says, The Lord saved me from sin. Sin's guilt sins, bondage, and corruption. To do this, what a privilege. How? It is a question. How will I do it? And the answer is, I have the Spirit. It was poured out on the church on Pentecost, and I have the Spirit of anointing. And now go, beloved, now go. Speak the wonderful works of God. Serve the church and represent God in whatever you do and to whoever you come with boldness and joy. Though this aspect of the work of the Spirit is distinct from his sanctifying work, you understand that it's not totally separate from his sanctifying work. 
How can it be to tell a sinner to go take the name of God on his lips and proclaim that name to others? I need the sanctifying spirit. Not only that, but this is not divorced from the work of election. When we read in the text that the names of those 70 chosen are written in a book, then that reminds us that everyone who's part of the body of Christ and who has an official position in that body has a name written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. It's for this purpose that God from all eternity determined to save us. Now it's also for this purpose that our Lord and Savior came and died on the cross. And there we're pointed in the text, in its typical form, to our true mediator, not the imperfect Moses, but Christ himself, and especially to his sufficiency to be our Savior and our mediator. In the first place, he showed that sufficiency by his death on the cross, in which he earned for us this Holy Spirit. I had no right to it. I have no right to serve God in his covenant. I have no right to a position of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus Christ earned the right. He laid down his life on the tree of the cross for us. But as he did so, he wasn't like Moses in the context of our text, complaining. Lord, why do I have to do this? He was in anguish. He prayed that if there be another way, rather than his drinking the cup by which this people be saved, that way be carried out, and then said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then he went to the death of the cross. Alone, bearing the wrath of God, to earn for you and me the gift of the Spirit and all the blessings that the Spirit brings. Christ is sufficient. And the outpouring of the Spirit further shows that. Don't think, I said in the introduction, but to expand on it, don't think that when Jehovah poured out his Spirit, he say, when Christ did, He's saying to you and to me, I can't do the work of saving the church all alone. I need your help. He's already at God's right hand. He's already paid the price for sin, not only, but overcome the power of sin. He's already seated at the right hand, ruling all creation and history alone. He does not need our help. But here's a wonderful thing. He says to us in pouring out that spirit, it's not that I need your help, but I'm going to do my work in and through you. And that astounds me. In and through a sinner. the name of God will be proclaimed. Intercession for other saints and care for the body of Christ will be carried out. And sin 
will be fought against in and through sinners equipped with the Spirit. There are three aspects to the office of all believer. I've been alluding to all three of the aspects, but certainly one of those is on the foreground here. The Holy Spirit, as it's poured out on these 70, causes them to prophesy. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, we read in verse 25. And then even Eldad and Medad, who didn't go to the tabernacle, but were still of those that are written, they prophesied in the camp. We're not told of the contents of their prophecy. We're told only of the activity. But let's understand that not everyone in the Old Testament who prophesied received a dream and a vision and a new revelation from God. In other words, the Moseses and Joshua's and Elisha's and Elijah's and David's and Solomon's are prophets And as prophets, they did receive new revelation from God and write it and speak it to God's people. But more people in the Old Testament are said to have prophesied than those who received these new revelations. I allude, for instance, to Miriam and to Huldah. And I don't mean to limit what I'm saying just to women who prophesied. In the Old Testament, when others prophesied, what they did was not receive new visions and revelations, but on the basis of the revelation already given, say to other people, remember what the Lord has said. If you go back and read, just to illustrate the point, if you go back and read Exodus 15, Moses prophesies first. As the bodies of the Egyptians are washed up on the Red Sea, Moses sees something in that, and he prophesies to Israel things Israel didn't understand before. Then Miriam prophesies, and all she really does is echo what Moses had done. Uh, what, yes, what Moses had done. Now here, Moses is the one who goes up into the mountain, had gone up. Moses is the one to whom the Lord talks face to face as a man talks to his friend. These 70 are not Moses' equivalent, but they prophesy in the sense of being able to open up the law and the revelation that God had given to that point and say to other people, remember what God said. And in the same way, the 120 on the day of Pentecost, spoke the wonderful works of God. That's to say they prophesied. Of course, Acts 2 tells us that they did so in different tongues, and that certainly is striking. But even more than the different tongues in which they spoke, say the people who hear them, we're hearing them speak the wonderful works of God. And that says something to you and to me. That as those who are filled with the Spirit in the New Testament, the great sign that the Spirit works in and through us is not that we will go around speaking in tongues, speaking gibberish, 
needing interpreters, the great sign that the Holy Spirit is in us is that you also, and I, I not as a professor now, not as a minister, I as a child of God, speak the word of God. That's our calling. Do you? Yes, as parents, we begin to do that when we teach our children. But do you do it, say, when you bring a meal or in some other way see a need in the body of Christ and say, I'm going to help that person? Tangible need. Do you, in meeting that need, also speak the wonderful works of God? And sometimes you understand that it isn't a tangible, earthly need that needs meeting. The person's discouraged. My brother, my sister is down in the dumps. I must bring to them the wonderful works of God. And may that encourage them. And then there's an unbeliever, co-worker, unbeliever neighbor. And I'm going to bring to him or her the wonderful works of God. And I'm going to tell him or her about a God who made the heavens and the earth. A God who redeemed sinners. A God who so worked in my life. And he or she might not appreciate what I say, but he or she will know more of the wonderful works of God. Sometimes we, I didn't say you, I included myself are too slow to speak and too quiet about the wonderful works of God. And you can't say you don't know what they are. You can't say, well, what in the world would I ever tell somebody? You have the Bible. And you have the Spirit. And the Spirit equips you and me to open up the Bible and speak it. And the power Every minister finds this out. The power is not in that you chose some perfect passage, but that you brought the word of God. Are you being the prophets you are called to be? When then we see sin in the lives of a husband or wife, a child or parent, a fellow saint. And when we address the sin in their life, we don't do so in the way of very impatiently saying, what is wrong with you? But we bring the word of God. And we admonish, exhort, rebuke on the basis of the word of God. Are we doing the work of prophet? The 70 did. The 120 did. Did. That prophecy of the 70 in Moses' day, as well as the 120 in the day of Pentecost, and your and my speaking the wonderful works of God, will draw the attention of people around us. The 68 over by the temple were maybe heard by those worshiping, but certainly Eldad and Medad were noticed. In fact, people run to Moses and say, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. Joshua says, forbid them. 
it draws people's attention. So with the 120 believers, we who were born in Parthia, or Crete, or Arabia, and although we're Jews or Gentile proselytes to Judaism, we grew up understanding a different language than the Hebrew language, and yet these Hebrews who never learned our language are speaking in our language the wonderful works of God. It draws people's attention. Guaranteed, your speaking the wonderful works of God will get people's attention, not always in a way you want. But did you ever see your Lord and Savior to the scribes and Pharisees saying, I'm not going to talk to you. You're not going to like what I say anyway. Or did you see him declaring the glory of God? And when you call a man to be your pastor, and when we as churches send forth men to be missionaries, do you ever say to them, we only want you to speak the gospel if you think people will like it. If you think they won't, just be quiet, it's safer, it's easier. Do we not say, go bring the word of God? It always has a twofold effect. And I can't dictate what effect it will have, when and to whom. But are we faithful in the work we do? And so also, there's a mixed reaction on the day of Pentecost. Some doubt. Some say these men are full of new wine. But did you notice that 3,000 more were added to the church? There's positive fruit, too. Always is. You don't always know what it is. It's not always made so obvious. But the Lord uses you and me to carry out his purpose. And so, the mixed reaction on the day in which the Spirit was poured out on the 70, and people said, Joshua specifically, and another young man, Moses, your glory, your honor is in jeopardy here. Oh, tell him to be quiet so that your glory continues to shine forth. And Moses said, is it my glory that matters? But it is Jehovah's. Would God that the Lord would put his spirit on all his people. Pentecostal and the charismatic say, you, members of Hull Protestant Reformed Church, are second-rate Christians. You don't speak in tongues. You're not doing miracles. You're not falling over as if slain with the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. Reformed biblical doctrine says it differently. Speaking in tongues was a sign for a time. Filled with the Spirit, you will prophesy. Now the event, even in this respect, the event recorded in our text is a prefiguring of Pentecost. And that comes out in two ways. 
In the first place, Pentecost comes on the whole church and all who are later born into the church and regenerated. It's not all of Israel. On that day, it was only 70. In the second place, the office that these 70 held did not continue. At least we don't read of it anywhere else in Scripture. The office of elder continued. There were elders in every, uh, in every tribe and in every city. Those who would judge the people according to the word of God. But this assistance to Moses, we do not read of again. And in the third place, though they prophesied, they did not do so continually. And there you say, just a moment, what do we read in verse 25? And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. And I'm going to say with conviction that I'm right, but still very high regard for our King James Version, that this is a mistranslation that gives you exactly the opposite idea of what it ought. They prophesied and did so no more is the literal translation as well as, I won't spell it out, the way the same word is translated elsewhere in Scripture. The point isn't to minimize that they prophesied. The point is to say that their office did not continue, whereas yours and mine does. You can't say, I've been a prophet, priest, and king for 70 years now, and I'm going to lay it down. I've had enough, time to retire. The Lord says, this isn't a time-bound calling. And of course, even death is not a setting down of the office. We continue to hold the office in heaven. And it's in that way that Pentecost and its benefits and effects on you and me are far greater than this sharing of Moses' spirit to the 70, that the event recorded in our text and Pentecost as its fulfillment magnifies the Spirit's work. Sometimes Reformed believers are said to make too little of the Spirit. Remember that in the Apostles' Creed, after we confess, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, we say, and I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And remember that those five aspects of our confession are really flowing out of our confession of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we do not diminish the Holy Spirit's work when we remember two things. The first is that the Holy Spirit works in so many ways all the time in all God's people with regard to the forgiving of sins and the unifying and perfecting of the body of Christ and the glorifying of us. That's the Spirit's work. We magnify Him in that work. And in the second place, we do not diminish but magnify the Spirit's work when 
we remember that his work is not to exalt himself, but to exalt Jesus Christ. As Christ said to the disciples, when the Comforter has come, he will testify of me. When you and I look to Jesus Christ in true faith, see him as our Savior and our Lord, find in him the strength to serve God as prophets, priests, and kings, we are magnifying the Spirit's work. But you can see perhaps how Israel needed to be taught that. The Spirit's work in the Old Testament was not so prevalent, so obviously powerful as in the New, and I don't slight the Spirit by saying that, but that was the whole point of Joel's prophecy. Here in the Old Testament, he works a little, especially in the area of prophecy. Here you have a prophet. Then you go centuries sometimes without a prophet. Then there's another prophet. The Spirit is working, but you don't see it so prominently. And when he's poured out on Pentecost, you see it prominently. Also, the Spirit's work in sanctification didn't appear so obvious. Moses is complaining, and the people of God are complaining. That's called grieving the Spirit. I don't mean just complaining is called grieving the Spirit. I mean any sin against the law of God whereby we ignore or do not make evident that we serve Christ and his spirit is among us, grieves the spirit. Which is to say God is a personal God. I don't mean to reduce him to a human who has feelings the way humans do but he uses anthropomorphisms, figures of speech, to convey that idea. God grieves when we sin. He grieves when we do not do with joy and gladness that which he has called us and redeemed us to do. And he grieves because in the way of a holy obedience, we have covenant fellowship with him. And when we sin against him, we are turning our backs on such covenant fellowship. In addition, Israel must be taught the lesson that the Spirit is magnified, and that especially as the Spirit of Christ, because in Israel, some are in danger of following a mere man, Moses. You can understand that. People either hated Moses, as many did, or he was the man in all capital letters. And that's partly what's behind, again, this young man and Joshua who are concerned about these others prophesying. And Moses' response is to say, don't honor me. Honor Christ who sent me and honor the Spirit 
who equips me and with God that all God's people were filled with that spirit. So how do you and how do I magnify the spirit's work? Yes, by honoring the office bearers whom God has sent for their work's sake, praying for them. Yes, by having our love and care for the church, which we ought to have, and understanding that even I or you, though you might look at your own gifts and say, I don't know that I have gifts, or I see some gifts, but I despise my gifts. Stop. The Spirit gave you those gifts. Go use them, knowing that the Lord will use them for the glory of his name, and then you magnify the Spirit by loving, living in the service of, and obeying the Lord who died to earn him and arose and ascended to God's right hand to bestow him. You and I honor the Spirit in our life, not free from trials, is nevertheless a life of praise to God and glorifying of him for his grace. Are you filled with that spirit? Do you show it in the praises of Jehovah that you speak? And do you show it in the wondrous works of God that you share with others? That is the question. God grant it. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, give us to live as those who magnify thy spirit's work because we magnify the Christ who sent that spirit. And because we're mindful that we've been delivered from sin to serve thee, and thou dost tell us how we will serve and when we think we're not equipped, remind us that we are, and keep us from murmuring and complaining. For Christ's sake, amen.